Audrey Adams is the mother of three. She and her husband, Jim, work for a small private college in Southern California. Her oldest son has had some pretty significant behavioral issues, big tantrums where it's incredibly difficult for her to calm him down, for him to calm himself down, moments where he gets aggressive and, and sometimes scary. He was recently diagnosed with high-functioning Asperger's. In her interview, Audrey talks about her deep love for all her children, but especially this son who's been so challenging. She also talks about what it's been like to parent a kid who just doesn't toe the line, who doesn't always behave well at birthday parties or when the family goes out to dinner. She talks about some of the isolation that goes along with parenting a kid who doesn't necessarily behave well. I really appreciate Audrey's humility and the way in which she is open about a lot of the isolation that I think a lot of parents feel. She does the interview because she wants to fight back against some of that isolation and to be encouraging to parents to help other parents know that they're not alone. First of all, thank you so much for being willing to do this. I, I appreciate it personally, but I also just really celebrate your approach to it and your willingness to, to want to tell your story in a way that's helpful and encouraging to other parents. So. Well, thank you. It, it, it feels like a way to, to redeem hard things and, and be a support system to parents because we all need that, don't we? <laughs> Yes. Yes, very much so. This is Parenting Reimagined, a place where the conversation goes beyond what we do as parents, and we take the time to consider what parenting teaches us, how it transforms us, and what being parents means for the landscape of our inner lives. I am Sherry Walling. Well, would you begin by introducing yourself and saying a bit about your family? Sure. Um, I have three kids. I've been married to my husband, Jim, now for it will be 16 years this summer. And uh, my oldest is a my oldest son is 11, almost 12. My daughter is nine, and I have a five-year-old spunky little kindergartner who keeps me on my toes. <laughs> I work part-time at a small Christian college, uh, kind of wear lots of hats. I'm currently working uh, with the board of trustees, just helping communicate and work, sort out logistics. It's, it's okay. keeping me quite busy. <laughs> it sounds busy to have three at different phases. Yeah. It's kind of a balancing act. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what have you loved most about mothering? Any favorite moments that stand out? Um, I do have some kind of, I don't know that there's so much favorite moments, but favorite little like snapshots I have of each of my kids. I think my favorite thing about mothering is watching my kids discover themselves. I, 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 it's profound to me how they're each so different and they have very unique giftings and likes and dislikes. And so um, I have little snapshots that kind of capture them for me. Uh, for instance, my son 
it, it was so sweet when he was just the tiniest little guy and he did it for quite some time, still does it occasionally. He would bring me home flowers. Like he would go golfing with his dad and bring home little flowers for me, <laughs> just out of the blue, mm. which is really indicative. He has a, of his really sweet little nature. He, and it's been good for me because he has a kind of surly side too and an unpredictable side that I, it, it's a good way for me to remember how sweet and sensitive and caring he can be. Um, despite some of the challenges we've had over the years with him and my daughter, I think I, my, one of my greatest little pictures of her was when she was just tiny for a little two and three year old, she would put her CDs in her CD player. She loves music. She's very artistic and she would lay down in front of the CD player with her face right up against the speakers and just be in heaven. Just so happy. And and that's really kind of central to her now, her same temperament, very, very lost in the moment and captured by what's in front of her and just a little party, a little party kid. And then my um, kindergartner, uh, he would get so excited when I would both drop him off and pick him up from school. When, when I would drop him off, he would, we went through this little routine where he would have me push him on the swings and he was very just like emotionally close and connected. And then, and then I would leave and he would, bye mom, bye mom. You just yell like clear across mm. the playground. And then when I would come pick him up, he would be so ecstatic. He'd be jumping around. My mom's here. My mom's here. So, and, and that's just, that's very much him. One of my favorite memories of him. They're such sweet memories of them when they're little. I know it goes yeah. so fast. So your oldest son has had some pretty significant behavior challenges. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about his experience and your experience parenting him? Sure. My oldest was a totally happy-go-lucky little guy as a baby. And then around three, we started to run into some pretty significant tantruming. It escalated. You know, it's tough because around three, all kids are tantruming. So you don't really know what to do. He was our first one. So we didn't really have any benchmarks for anything other than that, but it began to be pretty intense. And so we have wrestled for quite some time when he was around uh, fourth grade, we did a formal assessment, um, came back with a diagnosis of ADHD with oppositionality and then have since then had him reassessed and he comes back as an, an Asperger's child probably on the very high functioning side, he's really smart and capable in so many areas. But what we haven't, what we have continually wrestled with, with him is just this crazy explosiveness. I didn't really have anything to compare it with, but he can be fine one moment and then completely lose his cool and go ballistic in the next. And it's high, of course, really disruptive to us. So we've just had a lot of episodes throughout parenting where he couldn't cope. And so parties, any kind of places where you have a lot of requirement for, he's a really rigid thinker. He's very black and white. He has a very difficult time connecting with other kids and navigating normal social conflicts. Almost everything, especially earlier in his younger years, would, would he just keeping friendships was really a challenge. 
and then it would also just be really disruptive to our family. So I can't tell you the number of times we would go to a party and then he would start pitching a fit over something that we didn't even under, understand why it had gone to that level of screaming or hitting or whatever. And then I would need to take him away from the party or amusement parks, any kind of special event. Um, oftentimes when we're in a time crunch and we need to get somewhere, huge giant meltdowns that are really can become kind of violent. Um, and especially with our other kids, they've had to pay some, I feel like significant prices for just losing some of their enjoyment because of their brother flipping out. Is there a, an event or like a, a situation that really paints the picture of your son's behavior? There are several kind of in different parts of his life. I think a really profound one for me was, or at least it was an aha moment. It wasn't, there were lots of them, but it was an aha moment for me, was when he was about four years old and we took him um, on a field trip with a bunch of um, other parents who were homeschooling. So they had a, a bunch of people together and we went to a farm, went to Riley's farm. And and at the point that they pulled out and they were all kids of similar ages, some older, some younger, but um, they pulled out all these old fashioned toys that people used to play with. And as they were going through those, my son latched onto one and another kid happened to get his, he, my son wanted one. Another kid got it first. And my son began to like almost froth at the mouth. It was so crazy. His response, then he was hitting me, yelling at me. I mean, he's four years old, just going hmm. ballistic. And my good friend who had brought her children with her, she said, because she'd heard me talk a lot and she'd seen me with him in some of the challenges. But she said, watching you on that field with your son was like watching an abused wife. Um, hmm. He was so out of his mind and you were just like trying everything you could to make him be okay. Hmm. And that was like a, a, it was helpful for me to hang my hat on that a little bit and say, no, that's not okay. And it really is as bad as I'm feeling, you know, I was feeling it like that, but I thought, well, I just must not be tough enough or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of the beginning of us beginning to really seek help um, and figure out what was going on. Uh, probably about two months ago, basically had this huge thing where he got in a little spat with his brother over sitting too close in the car or something. I don't even remember. It was so silly. Um, and it turned into a giant, giant affair. I had to physically put him in his room and then he got a nosebleed and then he, I was trying to help him and he started hitting at me and then he ran out the front door and he was going to run away. <laughs> wow. And you know, I was thinking I'm going to, he was screaming so loud. I was thinking, Child Protective Services are going to come and cart all my kids away because he sounds mm -hmm. like we're trying to, you know, hurt him based on how like you're you're killing he, him. Yeah, <laughs> he he reacts so crazy that anybody on the outside would think we're just horrible parents or something. But we don't yell. We don't. I mean, not typically. And so yeah, I, I we the the younger ones were more the younger episodes were more regular and kind of frantic. The later ones have been let fewer and far between. 
but when they happen, they're pretty darn intense. It sort of goes zero to a hundred. But I got muscles now, so All right. <laughs> I know how to kind of tolerate it a little better and self-care a little better. And, you know, there's hope. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're finding a way to manage it. And, you know, I think the bigger issue for us is just that we just didn't know what we were dealing with for a really long time. Um, yeah. And we didn't have any concretes of what to do. It's actually funny because... I was super excited when we got a diagnosis of Asperger's because I felt like, oh, now I can kind of hang my hat on where we need to go and what we need to do a little bit more. Now you know what to call it. And just for listeners who don't know, Asperger's is a diagnosis that's related to autism. And I think for us, um, because he's so normal in so many respects, you're prone to a lot of misunderstanding. And, and we didn't, we, we've struggled with a lot of guilt feeling like we just weren't good enough parents. Why can't we regulate our, why can't we help our son regulate his behavior? We just must be failures. We're not consistent enough. Something is wrong with us that we can't get a better result because when you're around parents that have just normal kids um, that don't struggle with this particular issue, they, the, the things that they do, they get results with. I mean, parenting is hard no matter whether you have a child with special needs or, I mean, it's hard. I, I feel like that was I felt a lot of really profound guilt, like I just must be a horrible parent. Hmm. Um, and I felt frustrated that I could never find a solution. I would read books, I would do all the things I thought I should do, and I couldn't fix it. So it, I can just hear some of the desperation in the way you're talking about this, the sense of trying everything and ticket strategies and sticker charts and yeah. all kinds of things to help him sort of interact better in the world yeah. and just nothing, nothing, nothing. And, and it sounds like, you know, like most of us would, you, you took that on and felt the weight of, um, I don't know if failure is too strong a word, but maybe no, it moments totally of is. that. It totally is. And I, I think I still, I finally am at a place, which is a good paradigm shift for me. I wish I could have got there a long time ago, but I think I felt so responsible that it was my job to fix him or, to, you know, take this away or something that um, I finally think I'm at a place now where I'm not taking all the responsibility for that. Um, and I've learned the importance of, I, 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 think it's so, and I don't have one as fully as I need to, but connecting with other parents, having some kind of a network or support where you can talk to other people who struggle with, with situations like yours. I remember that, um, a good friend of mine who I didn't, hadn't seen for quite some time, but they had adopted a son and, and they were describing behaviors like my son's. And it was so validating to just know I'm not the only one. Hmm. Um, I think when you have a child that's more like, it's more obvious because my son is very normal in so many respects. Um, especially in Christian circles, people tend to moralize a lot and, oh, you know, you, I, I got a lot of solutions given to me of what I should do to help fix this. Um, <laughs> and, and to, like, nice. yeah, to, to be able to kind of step back and say this, um, this is, pr this is truly a disability it's truly not within my scope to fix it. I can help shape him. I can help um, direct some of his experiences so that he can experience more success. Um, time will fix some things as well. But uh, 
just getting that validation um, and rethinking my own view of being a parent has really that it, I, I found some answers at least, not all yeah. the answers, but I found I found some places of hope recently that have been good for me. His behavior and his experience is not a result of bad parenting or lack of love or effort. It sounds like it's taken a little while to like really let that settle within you. It really has. I, I really don't know why. <laughs> I, I, I'm kind of baffled even when I, you know, I did a lot of self-help kinds of books, a lot of reading on um, mostly ADHD at the time because that was kind of what we were honing in on thinking. And there's a lot of overlap between ADHD and, and Asperger's and um, some of the challenges that these kids face. Um, but uh, the the whole piece of we're so it's so ingrained in us to try to find solutions and reckoning with the fact that I'm going to find some things that help, but it's not going to necessarily be a quick fix. That's been another thing of just really, this is a journey I'm on and my job is to do the best I can for on behalf of my son to give him as much of a leg up as I can um, and be as much of an advocate for him as I can without this being like a performance indicator of my parenting. You know, this is, it's just been, it's taken me some time to get to that place. But this is not a commentary on your worth. No, no. Having a child that makes very public tantrums is a (laughs) surefire way to get really humble really fast. Yeah. (laughs) We've, We've learned some tactics and I have to say to my son's credit, he's really, just developmentally watching him grow. He's at some sta- a stage now where I feel like he's being, he's growing leaps and bounds in his ability to articulate himself, even his own deficits where he, he knows he's not doing what he needs to do, but it's hard for him. And so I, I feel like we're, we're getting to a better place for him. Um, but yeah, he's a pretty big kid too. So even when he was five, he looked like he was seven or eight. <laughs> Uh, when you go to a party and your kid's flipping out and everybody looks at you like, it, it was probably even more myself looking at myself through outside eyes. I don't even know how much of what I thought was public scrutiny was really public scrutiny or how much of it was my own. But <laughs> nonetheless, it, it had a pretty deep effect on me. Um, hmm. And I, I feel like I'm coming around on the backside and I will be okay, but... Uh, those years were pretty hard and dark early. Yeah. A lot of loneliness and isolation. And I'm, I'm realizing also that your, your second child, your daughter has some pretty significant medical. Yeah. She has a condition called Axenfeld Riegers, um, which sounds really big and long, but um, it's just a sub, just a little set of physical challenges she faces. Um, just some dental anomalies and, but, but the bigger, the biggest issue is, has to do with her eyes. Um, she, the irises in her eye, uh, are breaking down, which is not a problem except for the fact it clogs up the drainage system of the eye and creates glaucoma. So she at about three and a half had a huge spike in eye pressure and we had to take her into surgery, um, and have a a shunt put in one of her eyes. And then we've continued to have to do that 
she's got three in one eye uh, and one in, in the other eye. She just had um, a couple surgeries for that. And she has actually lost the vision in her left eye. Um, so we're clinging to keeping ahead of things for her right eye. Uh, you know, it's so fascinating because we often think with, if, if my son was the one that had these issues, it would have been a whole different thing because he's very anxious and uh, has a difficult time with transitions and, and kind of flips out. My daughter, on the other hand, is a very flexible, happy-go-lucky, pretty resilient little thing. So she's managed it quite well. But obviously, as parents, we're always nervous for, well, what's this going to mean for her? Is she going to be able to see um, for the rest of her life? We, we, you know, we're always kind of needing to stay ahead of things to make sure that that happens. But I don't take responsibility for that. I wish I could fix it and take it away. Whereas with my son, he has his e- equally a disability, but because he doesn't wear it on the outside, my response has been quite different and my level of sense of responsibility has been different too. So Hmm. two very different kinds of parenting. What these different disabilities have meant for you. Yeah. How do you, and, and then your third child, he's totally normal. (laughs) Skip it along. (laughs) And and I think that's what's so amazing to me is like, I, I parent them all so I my experience of parenting with three kids has been different for each one. Yeah. Whether you have a kid with disabilities or not, I'm sure is still the case. You still change you, you kinda have to respond to your kids differently based on who they are. But it's called different things out of me too, for sure. How has having a child or or two children with two very distant different disabilities, how has that changed the way that you mother? Um, I think I, I think I have learned, well, I will say I get ecstatically happy over very mundane little victories. Um, I think especially when it comes to my son, we've had, I just, we just, it feels like we've had a lot of grief for losses of, you know, you, you hope and pray your children get along with other people and have a lot of friends and enjoy their life. And to see him really struggle with sadness and sometimes depression based on just being isolated, not knowing how to navigate things. Um, when he does something really well, I'm super excited. Like, you know, we, in fifth grade, he got his first school award, which seems kind of silly, you know, um, my kindergartner got one right away because <laughs> they try to be so fair and giving, you know, giving awards out to every kid. But my, my fifth grader or my, my oldest didn't, um, get anything until fifth grade. And he was ecstatic to be able to get up in front of the other kids and get an award that was based on how well he had done. Um, that was like a shining moment for me to, to watch him soar and exceed in something that really can be kind of on the more trivial side, but it was really, that's really neat. Um, so I think that's probably been a pretty big thing. And, and both of my kids, my older two have really struggled with school for different reasons. Obviously my daughter having eye issues and, and whatnot, but then I have a, a little kindergartner who's just soaring and, and doing really well. And that's really fun to see 
um, to have that experience of, wow, look at him go, you know, he, he, this is, this is amazing. So, um, maybe changing my, my, my sense of standards for each of the kids and, and seeing them excel in their own ways has been kind of a significant thing for me. You've talked a bit about the dark years, yeah. I think is what you said, where you, um, didn't really have a diagnosis that felt like it fit exactly what was happening and you didn't have other people who could relate or, or were maybe even very helpful. Um, how did you get through that time? And I guess this is a two parter. How did you get through that time? And then what do you, what do you hold on to now when those kinds of feelings start to creep in again? Um, I really think I got through the time with a lot of crying and a lot of praying, but not even really like faith-filled prayers, just like desperation prayers. I'm definitely not like a victory story of, wow, I prayed and then X, Y, Z happened and I was, my, you know, children are, look at them now. I don't feel that way. I feel humbled. I feel grateful, especially as little markers come of, kind of health and it's almost like when a little plant pops out of the ground and you start to see the little leaves I I feel um kind of like just really happy in my in in seeing something I've tried to nurture for a really long time that hasn't sprouted leaves to see it start to flourish is is um pretty neat for me um but I think that it and I also think I had I have good friends, even though they couldn't understand all of the things that I was facing, they were super faithful to me. Um, they would let me cry. Um, they would not try to fix all my problems. Um, and, and then one friend in particular who was a, a psychologist who would do everything she could to point me the right direction and, and help me sort some things out and get some resources and, and let me even just kind of sit with some of the profound struggles and unanswerable questions at the time. And I look back and feel so grateful that I, even though I felt kind of alone, I really wasn't totally alone. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that was God's faithfulness to me. Uh, and I really, I, I actually really cherish now that I, I, I view, I think I have become and, and, and hope I continue to grow in, in walking that way with other people because I've experienced what it's like to be in the dark side of things and where you don't have answers to everything and you feel just alone. I hope I can be the kind of friend to others in that place. Is there a, a word or a sentence that you repeat to yourself or I don't know, like a something that you hold on to as your reminder that you're okay? Um, I think a lot, I remind myself it's not over, that I'm just in mm -hmm. the middle. And, you know, it sounds a little trite, but there's a, a kind of a little picture that I, or maybe in a sermon or something when I was a kid, of the idea of a tapestry and that when you're on the backside of the loom, it just looks like a giant mess. <laughs> All the threads are, you know, hanging and you can't see the picture, but when you go on the front side of the tapestry, everything is, you can see how things are interconnected and, and there's a beautiful picture. And I think, um, 
I don't know where everything will go. And I don't even know that I have to have an answer for how everything fit together. But I like the idea of it being okay for there to be sort of a mess and that I'm not the one responsible to put it all together. Um, but I know that I serve a God who, who is working on my behalf and on my children's behalf. He knows them and loves them more than I possibly could, which sometimes feels unimaginable to me. Um, hmm. and that I get the privilege of getting to go alongside them. And I think that has even changed because I used to view my role more like I had more say in things. <laughs> I don't, I, I get to shape and direct, but I don't get to determine the outcomes of who my kids become or what their little personalities and dispositions are. I get to kind of work with what they already are and, um, so I like that idea of it. It's okay for it to be messy and unfinished looking on the backside and to know that we're not done yet. I yeah. can't see the front yet. How has being a mother shaped the way that you view God? Um, probably the biggest thing would be, and I can remember standing in my son's bedroom when I had a very aha moment of, I can't, I now understand what it is to feel like, I, I should say in the context of my son, I was a giant meltdown. We had us after a series of meltdowns and I feel a little bit like my experience with my oldest has been kind of parental erosion. <laughs> you just get worn down from, you know, torrent after torrent of behavior and craziness and kind of lose your bearings. And, and I was so angry with him because he had just said horrific things to me. And I knew he would in the morning say, I'm sorry. And I didn't mean that, I, but, but it didn't matter. Cause you just, I just was so exhausted from the physical abusiveness that he would dish out and, and the, um, the things he would say. And I was just so angry and then in the very next moment, I just thought, but I still, as much as my emotions are against him, I still could never divorce my kid. Like I, he is mine forever. I will always want the best for him, no matter what he does. Uh, even if he became an ax murderer, you know, I, I want the best for him. I love him. And it struck me that that is God's disposition towards me. I, I kind of get it now. And it was a kind of a profound moment, not just to think about how I am in, by viewing myself as God's child, but to play the role of being the parent and see it from more his side of it. And I was absolutely convinced he, he does love me and not based on my merits, but based on the fact that he made me and I'm forever his. And it really was like a moment of security and feeling affirmed, <laughs> which is kind mm. of weird on the heels of a big explosion, but it was, it was a, a little bit of encouragement to me. Yeah. I, I love asking that question <laughs> because it's so interesting, you know, and, 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 and some people, I think like, like you're articulating, get sort of the sense of empathy for God. I like, know. I get what it's like to be in your shoes <laughs> through torture and, <laughs> and trial. <laughs> yeah. 
It's true. Well, well, looking forward, um, what are you most hopeful for, for your kids? I think I want my kids to be really comfortable in their own skin. I want them to have a really solid sense of their strengths, their gifts, their talents, how they can make a difference in the world just through their daily contribution in life. And then I also want them to have a really real, okay sense of their weaknesses and to be okay with that and to be humbled by that. And, you know, I almost worry, like I, the last thing I want my kids to have is total success, which is kind of funny because I really, I do want them to have success, but I don't want them to have more success than they can manage. I want them to have just the right amount so that they have a proper sense of themselves and, and really always cling to God. And it is funny how I think, even in my own experience, I don't want to suffer. I don't wish it on anybody else. But I think it's through our coming to the end of ourselves that we find the goodness of God and, and, and secure, the security and the, and the hope and the, just all the things that we long for to fill that hole in ourselves. And that's what I want for my kids. I almost feel like there's circumstances I'm, I'm, I'm less worried about than just the little people that they become. I was uh, actually yesterday reading um, The Interior Castle by uh, St. Teresa of Avila. Mm. And she at one point says something like, and I'm going to miss the quote, but says something like kind of all of our angst, all of the things that flap around in our minds are sort of are due to not understanding or remembering our nature. Mm. And like, that reminded me of what you said about, you know, you want your kids to be successful. You want them to be comfortable in their own skin, but kind of want them to also remember really who they are, yeah. <laughs> their strengths and their weaknesses to, to be humble, but, but confident and comfortable too. Yeah. Well, and I feel like too, and this is where I'm probably not, I'm, I'm more inclined to naturally even gravitate towards my own weaknesses. I don't want to pass that along to my kids. I want them to have a healthy sense of where they're strong. Um, yeah. It feels like it's easy for us to go one way or the other, but to hold the two in balance, I think is like a gift. Yes. Um, and, yes. and I want that for them um, that they don't have to go out and be some huge thing and, and, you know, be a celebrity or something they, that they're just okay with who they are. Well, that's kind of the end of the questions I have for you. Is there anything that feels unfinished or you want to add or talk about? I don't but think I didn't so. <laughs> I don't think so. I, um, I mean, I really appreciate your even asking. <laughs> uh, sometimes I think I feel if anything I have at different times of life felt disqualified from talking about parenting because it's been such a challenging journey for us. And I was telling my friend the other day that um, I didn't envision parenting being so elusive to feel, to feel like you're doing a good job to be so elusive. I thought, you know yeah. what, there's a lot of things I may not be good at in life, but I think I'm going to be, I'm going to be a really invested mom. I'm going to, 
I'm going to throw myself at it. That's probably something that I can experience success in. And I feel like that's the thing that I wanted to do the best at. If I fail at anything in my life, that's the one thing I don't want to fail at. Um, and so it's, uh, it's really a privilege um, to be able to, I mean, I hope bring some level of even just validation to someone else's experience who might be the same because I do feel like, wow, I, I want to redeem anything I can <laughs> out of these yeah. hard times and help let people know who've had equally hard times or worse. I mean, there are so many situations that are much more difficult than ours that you're not alone and that yeah. it's not the beaver cleaver uh, pie in the sky kind of experience. And that doesn't it doesn't have to be that way for it to still be a meaningful journey. I'll tell you too that um, I I think this whole podcast sort of was born out of me trying to walk through that same journey, like realizing that parenting was way harder than I thought, and my kids weren't who I expected them to be, and I was, you know, I was sort of like really angsty about it, yeah. and and I've just, you know, kind of been going through this whole thing of like letting those expectations go. I love the name of your podcast. (laughs) Well, that's my, like, I have to think about this all new. (laughs) Well, it really is. So I don't know where I got some of my notions of, I I, I really think, and the church is changing. It's not so much probably like this for people that are a little younger, but we just do have our little idealistic notions of things. And I'm probably the perfect personality to get sucked into that. (laughs) And so this has been like a pulled through the knot hole backwards kind of deal. (laughs) I just didn't anticipate it coming. And, um, but having said that, I now feel like, well, the, what I, what I want to do is make sure nobody else is left alone in that same kind of situation. So really is a privilege to get to speak yeah. to that a little bit yeah and, and no matter what he's yours and no matter what he's mine and you know it was so precious um when I had a little talk with him on the heels of Friday's discussion with his school team of assessment people and and um and they are so great I'm so thankful for them all highly professional trained and very compassionate and that has been a huge blessing to us to have a team response to him. And I, I told him kind of the findings and we're, we're working on narrowing down some issues for you. And we want to, yeah, you know, I was trying to be as encouraging as possible. We really want to get you all the help we can and make sure that you can conquer some of these struggles or get a better handle on them. And he looked at me and he said, mom, I don't want to be somebody that has a diagnosis said, honey, it's okay. We all have our own issues and some are more visible than others, but we all have our stuff we've got to manage and we're going to get you help and support and, and make sure we're doing the best we can to get you what you need. And then he looked at me and said, and here's this kid who can be pretty non-emotional with me. And he said, mom, I'm so glad that I have a loving family who wants to take care of me. And he just said it with the sweetest voice and the kindest little expression and gave me a big hug. And I felt like I got a brick of gold right in my lap. So special to me. So to me, that's giant progress that he can articulate 
himself and some of his feelings and his his doubts and his sadness when he didn't used to be able to do that. Yeah. So we're not finished yet, right? <laughs> well, thank you so much for for telling your story and for being honest and honest and yet encouraging, strong and yet weak all at the same time. Thank you, Sherry. Thanks for asking. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of Parenting Reimagined. If you like what you heard, visit our website, parentingreimagined.org, and sign up for our mailing list. You can also like us on Facebook. Thanks for taking the time to be part of this community of parents who's committed to learning the deeper lessons of parenting.